As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Well, Drancer, they keep making it interesting. Finally, an overtime win for the Vancouver Canucks against the <laughs> Vegas Golden Knights. And the dream is still alive. Four straight wins. They didn't gain a single drop in the standings because, as you would expect, everybody around them that they needed to lose one. There were three games. Everybody got two points. And, heck, the Vegas Golden Knights got one point when they didn't really need to get one. Well, they and really here, didn't need to get one. No, and, and here really we are. They really didn't need to get one. Well, look, on let's, form. Let's, let's, not, let's not understate how poor the Canucks were in the third period. Uh, I, I don't disagree. I, I, you know, but I, I will say this. Okay. Robin Leonard was lost, Farhan. And until Connor Garland sent that sick feed with like two and a half minutes, Tallies Pedersen alone in front, they didn't test him. They didn't test well, him. But they didn't even have quite, a shot. But quite frankly, as for all the zone time and puck possession that the Vegas Golden Knights had in that third period, Thatcher Demko didn't steal that point or those two points. No, it he wasn't actually a great. It wasn't a great Demko performance outside of the first period. Yeah, no, you're right. First period was fantastic. The first two goals that went in on him were, were unfortunate bounces for him. Like you didn't yeah. see them until it was in the back of the net because of the deflections. The the goal in the final minute to Theodore should have stopped it, right? Like he had a clean look and it was a short side goal. Well, and it was uh, also a bad angle goal. Uh, the third goal. I mean, yeah, no, it wasn't a great Demko night. Like the Vegas Golden Knights would have been worth three goals on an average goaltender last uh, that night but they got a couple bounces so i'm not dinging him by any means it's just the Canucks only played really well for 20 minutes yeah no i completely agree and, and like i said they had the opportunity you kind of knew when pedersen missed that one that it might come back to bite him in the ass <laughs> overall when you look at puck possession but, and form, sorry can it, i interrupt real quick I, I just hear in my head the the fans listening who are like it was a great game like stop it and it's like yeah no you're right it was like 
they only played 20 minutes well, but what a 20 minutes it was, especially from Elias Pettersson. I want to at least, I want to at least caption that that was an enjoyable, thoroughly enjoyable watch from a fan's perspective. From a spectator's point of view, that was a great game. Yeah, no, it was. It was very entertaining, and and I want to get to Pedersen in a moment because I think he's playing right now as well as he ever has. Um, and, and I'm curious to see where you think that leaves his trajectory. But as far as the overall game is concerned, yeah, it was a waste of a point given to Vegas. However, on form, over the course of 60 minutes, Vegas was the better hockey team, right? I mean, there's no, oh, yeah. there's no, no denying question. that. They had the puck more, and, and they, they had the majority of chances, and... Um, and the Canucks only played 20 minutes, and it felt a lot like the San Jose game, quite frankly, and Boudreaux wasn't necessarily dismissive of that, right? Like, I mean, you know, even he talked about just the heart pounding coming out of your chest because you just didn't know if you could hold on the way that third period was going, and it did have that feel very early on because the first five minutes of the third, Vegas was really, really good, and it and I tweeted out at that time, it just felt like this was going to be one of those games where they just turn it over to Demko and hope, and it kind of happened that way, based on who had the puck more, but it didn't turn into what we saw against Vegas in the bubble where it was five-alarm save after five-alarm save after five-alarm save. It wasn't that. No, it wasn't. The, I thought the defensive game was fine. It's just that Robin Leonard looked lost last night. Like, let's just be honest, right? It yeah. wasn't that it they was had a so great... so many rebounds. So many rebounds they could yeah. have just poked it in, and they did on a couple. It wasn't a great Demko performance, but Vancouver's edge in net was the defining characteristic of that game, right? Every time Vegas had the puck, you felt like Vancouver was pretty safe, even when they were generating good chances. And every time Vancouver took even a a bad angle wrist shot at the Vegas net, you thought, oh boy, that could be a goal, right? I mean, it just the level of confidence an objective observer should have had watching both of those goaltenders play gave a massive edge to Vancouver. That that to me, like I was stunned when Vegas tied it. I was stunned, honestly, Farhan. And I'm not usually stunned when the Canucks don't play well. <laughs> but I was stunned. I, I was just like, I can't believe it. I would, I, you know, I, I think anyone who put an ounce of money on the Vegas money line in the third period can't have been watching. Like, there's no question to me. I thought, I thought, I thought Robin Leonard looked lost all game. And that's sort of what's galling to me about that third period where they just don't test him at all. You know, until until that Pedersen chance, there was just nothing, just nothing. And it's one of those where it just felt like a game you could have attacked on the counter a little bit more with a little bit more discipline and a little bit more creativity and put it away, put it away far earlier than the Canucks did. And then I think about the first period, which was a bit of a dog's breakfast, but they get the early lead, right? And, and credit to them, come out hard. We've seen them so often not do that, that, you know, I give them credit for, for drawing that penalty, for, for capitalizing on the power play. Power play is so good right now. And you know what I loved about the power play? Nothing from the outside. Like, not just that their goals were created from the inside, but it felt like both Miller and Pedersen were very disciplined. I think Miller maybe had one shot from the flank. They were just working it inside with a level of discipline that I love to see. And then you think about the Canucks' run of power play success of late, and it's like, yeah, you're not seeing those Pedersen one-timer goals as cool as they are, or those JT Miller, you know, running downhill wrist shot far side corner. You're seeing them just like work it to Bo, work it to the net front guy, bank it in off Chason, bank it in off Pod Colson. 
Like I loved the way the power play was just so disciplined about working the puck into the highest danger areas. So that was my favorite. My favorite thing the Canucks did last night, other than Elias Pettersson, you know, throwing fireballs was the way that the power play was so disciplined about just taking high danger shots and eschewing some of the perimeter work that, you know, used to be Vancouver's bread and butter on the power play. I loved that. Uh, but other than that, I thought the first minute, first period was kind of a dog's breakfast from the Canucks. And then the second period was fantastic, incredible. And, and the Pedersen show. And then the third period, I just felt like they missed an opportunity to step on Vegas's neck and they end up losing the, the regulation win, which is really what matters. It's not about Vegas getting the win. It's that, yeah, Vancouver won last night and they've won four in a row. And now, you know, you, you need to win 11 in a row. Seems not doable. You need to win seven in a row because you already did four. Hey, like, well, they're streaking. You know, like it feels so different as a conversation point. Right. But they actually lost ground last night. Right. Like L.A. wins in regulation. So they now lead Vancouver in regulation wins. Right. L.A. didn't have the tiebreaker going into last night's game against the Canucks. And now they do. So, in fact, L.A. gained a point on the Canucks. Right. The Canucks need an additional point to pass Vegas in the standing. So they're seven and a half. Dallas also gained a regulation win, pulling it out late against uh, Tampa Bay, a big win for them at home. And because of that, Dallas is now only one regulation win back of Vancouver. So Vancouver's six points back at Dallas. And then, of course, Vegas also holds the, the tiebreaker over the Canucks. So, you know, they're, they're really four points, not three points back of Vegas. And this is just one of those things where, again, the standings don't necessarily tell the full picture. They actually lost ground against teams they were chasing as a result of not closing that out. And for me, that's got to be really frustrating, especially because if this team is going to make it at this point, right, you know that it's not going to be like a clean make, right? Like they're probably not going to win out. They're probably not going to make it like with points to spare. It's going to be something ridiculous that matters. And it feels like those sort of losses against San Jose that you mentioned and, and last night, like those could matter at the end of the day, could matter a lot. And, you know, that's that sucks. Well, that's why I always said it's, it's going to be 97, not 96, right, for them to get in because they're not going to get help in the tiebreaker scenarios. And everybody else just keeps winning. And, I mean, like, look at the schedules. Like, look at L.A. right now for their schedule, right? Uh, okay, they, they, they go back-to-back. -back. So tonight they're going to play Colorado on the road. We'll see what that looks like, second end of a back-to-back. -back. But you've got, uh, you've got Columbus. Anaheim, Chicago, Anaheim again, Seattle, and then they finish up with Vancouver. And they got a lot of room in between, right? Like they've got the back-to-back -to -back tonight and then to finish out the season. Their schedule's comfortable. Dallas's schedule, comfortable. Like when I when I look at it, like they're going to have to, you know, when you and how compressed Vancouver's schedule is in the backside, starting with the back-to-backs next week, this is tough, right? So they, they can't afford even to give up these points, even if they're going to maximize the two points that they do wind up getting, right? So just looking at it from a schedule-wise, it's people have to look at that part of it as well, and that's why the percentages are also stacked against them because of you know, the models reading what everybody else's schedules look like. Before right. we leave the power play, I do want to ask you one question, and that is, where did it come from again? Because when this team's power play was great in the bubble, it was down low or from the wall into bow and bow one timing. Like, that was what was so good about it. I mean, and yeah, they had the ability to shoot off either side, but it was that play that was money for them that people couldn't figure out. And then when you watch their power play this year, even when Bruce first got here, 
Like, it, it just seemed like that was over. You know, for all the people that hate the drop pass, right? Like, when the Canucks first innovated and brought it in, it was such a thing, and then it, everybody had figured it out. And, yes, I understand that, you know, you're still a proponent and think it's a, it's a great way to en- gain entry into the zone. But when the Canucks attempted to execute it, yeah. and because they became so predictable and slow with it, it just seemed as though everybody had figured it out. And that low-to-high play to Bo seemed like it had completely been figured out. And let's just move on, throw that away, and figure something out, and it's back. How did it get back? I mean, Brock Besser improved as a playmaker from the net front. Uh, I think JT Miller figured out, JT Miller and Bo Horvat figured out how to work together on it. Uh, it was really the pass from Toffoli down low to Bo Horvat that made that such a weapon in the bubble. And I think it took a while after the loss of Toffoli for, for Besser to get really comfortable in, in a power play slot that's probably not, like it's not where he's best suited to playing, but he's smart enough that he can figure it out. He's made it work, but it's still ideally you'd have a player like Brock Besser on the flank. And so I think it took a while for them to adjust to that. Now, all of that said, the drop pass, the Anaheim Ducks power play and the Anaheim Ducks, of course, hired Newell Brown after the Canucks fired him. A a mistake in my view. That power play has been fantastic all year. And Vancouver is the one area that Vancouver has struggled the most on the power play, even as they've had these tremendous results under Bruce Boudreaux are is entering the zone like their zone entries without the drop are ugly right this the the, this team struggles to get set up and once they get set up they have so much finishing talent that it's you know a lot of fun to watch um so for the power play i think it's very clear that you're just you know i i mean the drop the drop pass proponents should not be taking the success of the boudreaux era power play as a win for them especially considering the, the the success that Newell Browns had in Anaheim and the fact that the one area that the Canucks power play, you know, continues to look pedestrian for all its brilliance has been, you know, in terms of uh, in terms of zone entries. I want to come yeah, back their best, to the, their best zone entries, a face off win. Right. I, I want to come back to the power play in a bit because I want to discuss uh, something in the in a bigger picture. Uh, so let's 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 save some of this and uh, and talk about it a little bit later. But the playoff race stuff right at the end of the day it's just silly fun like it's fun to watch that game and then go look at all the records and be like okay like what does it look like now right and the four wins that the Canucks have had have really put them in put them in a position where you know like the team's ahead of them well five percent and their odds didn't move as a result of last night's game right Uh, standings didn't move their odds didn't move but you know they have what they have done is a week ago or or two weeks ago, no, ten days ago. You looked at the standings and you'd be like, if Dallas goes five hundred, Vancouver has to win out, right? And now you're looking at the standings and it's like to really eliminate Vancouver, right? Dallas and L.A. still need to win like five of seven or five of eight in, in five of nine, depending on how I think one of them has seventy three, one of them has seventy five games played. So, you know. You have put them put these teams. Vancouver's at least created enough pressure on the teams ahead of them that they have to win the majority of their. They have to play well over the balance, assuming Vancouver wins out. Whereas, whereas we were, you know, a couple weeks ago talking about the Vancouver Canucks, you know, needing to basically win out, and those teams had to go fi- like only five hundred. And now those teams actually have to have a burr in their saddle. And yes, they have easy schedules. And yes, they, you know, at, at least in LA's case and in Vegas's case, they hold tiebreakers. Um, I also think they're better teams, so that's a, that's a pretty important factor to keep in mind too. 
but Vancouver's at least put themselves in a position to put pressure on the teams ahead of them. And, and now they only have Arizona until Monday. So they've got some time to rest. They've got some time to let that pressure play out. And, you know, you got to be able to beat Arizona at home. Have to. <laughs> you have to. Have to. Have to. Have to. I mean, so, five, you just manhandled them the other night. Like, yeah. Could you imagine? Have to. Well, I mean, yes. I've I said the game they're. I've said the game they're going to lose is against Ottawa at the second end of the back to back. Well, that's but that's actually a tough game, right? I mean, Ottawa's relatively deep. They're hardworking. They don't pack it in, and you're going to be the tired team, right? I mean, that's not an easy game for me. Um, the the Arizona game with a day of rest, like that. That's a game you got to win. Hundred percent. Have to. Have to. Unless you get Veg Melkid. Yeah, the, the next two are absolute have to. Like that's where you can't give up the point. And and like I said, I, for me, they've got a you know their worst case the rest of the way is an OTL. So I think everything's a have to. But these first two, given uh, yeah the the lead up to this because it's comfortable and who you're playing, and then you've got a long time off before you play Dallas, which is a four point game. Like yeah, for sure. And and Dallas has to play two games. You would just have to play one. Um, so you know, and and they'll be traveling. So. Yeah, and Dallas also sucks on the road. Like, Dallas is bad on the road because they're a complete one-line team. Um, yeah, I, there, there's, a, there's a path for Vancouver. There's a path for Vancouver. No, there's and, not. There's a path for them to keep it interesting, which right now I would just take, and I know that puts you no, in the mushy middle, it, big picture, but just keep the games interesting. Keep them but you know what? You get, when, you get to the, when you get to the like end of it, when you get to the river card, right? Um, it's just about outs. You know, like the Canucks... The four wins that they just had have given them real outs, not good outs, but there's a card that could come up in Vancouver's favor, right? Like they have, you know, 5% odds in November to me is like, oh, well, a million things need to go your way, right? 5% odds at the end of the game for the river card. By the time you get to the river, you know, like you got to, you got to, you got to something. There's something that could happen. And, and so not that the probability changes, but the way you feel about it, the way that there is like a path that you can see and it's tactile and it's simple and it just involves, you know, the Canucks winning going like something like six Oh and one or whatever the rest of the way. And then, and then they'll have a shot. I mean, there, there is a scenario at this point, they have kept themselves alive. And one thing though, that I do think we need to note is like if this team had safe, for example, just a hypothetical world where they hadn't made the OEL trade and you had the 12 million expiring from Beagle, Roussel, Erickson, right? And this was a season in which the team was looking long term, right? I think then you'd be looking at the wins that they've had of late and saying, hey, look, they're playing meaningful games. This They're playing with house money. This wasn't about this season. You know, this is a team that's looking to the future. Anyway, this is a lot of fun. This is a fun run. Unfortunately, this team was constructed using multiple like consecutive first round picks, right? Taking on a ton of bad money long term, um, sacrificing mass like a massive haul of futures, a massive haul of future cap flexibility, a massive haul of near term cap flexibility, too, with things like the Halak deal and the Holtby buyout, all in service of the season. And so as a result, I think you can't fall into the trap. Like it's like the language of mediocrity has has seeped into how we talk about and think about this team. Like meaningful games in April don't mean shit. There's no trophy. There's no banner. 
There's no nothing for playing meaningful games in April. Like it, it, it is a false. It is a false benchmark of progress for a rebuilding team that's not really rebuilding. Right. This is an all-in team. Playing these meaningful games in April, like it doesn't matter at all. Well, it's, no, I'm just saying for for me, it's enjoyable. Like I, I'm not talking, fun. and no, like, like I don't want to talk about. I don't want to talk about the playoffs when they've got to like essentially win twelve straight freaking games. Right? Yeah, like, I don't want to talk done, about that done, yet. Like they've done we got, four a, we got a pod next week. We can talk about it. So for they've me, done four. you're you're a they've thousand percent. You're a thousand percent right that it's in the big picture. It's pointless, especially when you consider how the team's no, constructed. So so it's playoffs or bust. It's playoffs or bust. Like I'm sorry, it is. It has to be for this group with the way that this team has been built. It's playoffs or bust. There's no participation medals. This yeah, and, team and is, I'm not this suggesting there is. And if they if they wind up losing at the end, I'm not. I would I would never suggest that playing meaningful games in April was a win. I'm just telling you that in my, in my mind, today on April 14th, as we debate the playoffs, I'm just not there. Have right? I like you are a thousand Have percent I right. Day? Isn't it the 13th? The 13th. Well, I'm, 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 mode and I'm always, I'm always a day ahead. No, but, but my, my point in all of it is that you, you are not wrong big picture in terms of constructed. And at the end of this all, how will we look at the season, right? Like no one's going to care how they missed or how close it was at the end. Right. But the point is today going forward, as opposed to two weeks from now, looking backwards or Six months ago, looking forwards, I'm not viewing it from that prism right now. Right now, as people talk about what their chances are, I just think it's so freaking improbable that I, I can't even look at it until at the very earliest next week because they'll have had the time off and other teams will have had a chance to play and we see what it, the, the real math looks like then, right? So right now, I, I can't even fathom a run that gets them into the playoffs right now. I'm just looking at it as not happening. See, right? I, I can now fathom it. I just yeah, don't I think it's I don't think it's going to happen. Don't get me wrong. I, I've never thought it was going to happen. I also think it's quite telling that the Canucks um, you know, took six of or five of six points against Vegas, right? And are still three points back plus the tiebreaker in the standings, right? Uh, they have never at any point had more points than Vegas um on this run that they've been on. At, in fact, at any point this season. So they were right um, there, though. They were very close before that homestand, th right? Th there was a moment where they peaked it's above like the point percentage, but in yeah. the standings, they actually never passed Vegas despite all of the turmoil. It's uh, it's quite a remarkable um, it's quite a remarkable testament to how hard it is to gain on teams. Right. I mean, you think about <laughs> you think about the results of those three games and that the net benefit to the Canucks is is a two point uh, or sorry, is, is gaining uh, two points on Vegas. I mean, that's wild to think about considering a 5-1 scoreline, how well they played the night, you know, last night. I mean, they should have had that game and two points for their work, two points in net benefit against the Vegas Golden Knights. Wild, wild. Let's take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, uh, we'll, we'll continue to talk about what lies ahead, but also Elias Pettersson, OMG, when yeah. we come back. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So let's talk about it. I mean, you know, certainly everybody wants to dunk on you for the fact they're still in it. They want to dunk on me because I was critical of Pedersen for the first couple of months of the season. And, and as I've said before, no apologies, not taking it back and wasn't wrong. Right. Um, I, at the time thought to myself, okay, now what's the ceiling for this player, right? Like in any of my criticism at no point did I say the Canucks should trade him, that he's not part of the core uh, you know, that that he's he's not like their ultimate building block because you can't take a chance on a player that young and wash your hands of him. That would be completely stupid. And it would essentially completely rebuild or begin the rebuild all over again, right? Like this is a boat right now, Demko, Hughes, and Pedersen. It always has been, right? Always. So So the question was, after his second season, in my mind, this was going to be, not at that point yet, but he was going to be a top five player in the National Hockey League. He was, his trajectory was so good after two years. That's what I saw. And then two months ago, I saw a player that'll probably be a first line player and, you know, but he's probably not going to be a top 20 player in the national hockey league, or he might be right around that line. Right. Mm -hmm. And now what I've seen in the, you know, since the all-star break, I think he can get back to that point of being a top five, top eight player in the National Hockey League. I'm not saying he's there today, but what we are seeing, the the dynamic play, the confidence, uh, again, and it's not about the shot. It's not about the wrist. It's about everything else that we're seeing. And I'm watching this guy, and every night, and sometimes every shift, boy, is he a delight to watch. He's a ton of fun. He's a ton of fun, and he's playing really good hockey. The success that he's on, you know, Everyone's getting really excited about the 32 points in his last 23 games. Here's a mind bender for you. In Pedersen's last 23 games, which is the Canucks' last 25, right? Here's, here's a mind bender of perception, okay? Elias Pedersen, at five on five, in his last 23 games, has 14 points, okay? Five on five. Connor Garland, in his last 25 games, so he played two more than Pedersen, 15 points. <laughs> can you can you explain that one to me? Like, I can't. Like, but, but isn't, it, you isn't, know what? It, it underscores gap, my point in all isn't of the this. gap in perception, though, there just through the roof. Like, no, because I couldn't tell you what. It, like, I know he's got thirty-two points in his last twenty-five games or whatever it's been, but it just hasn't been that for me, mm. right? Like, I get wowed by his plays on plays where he doesn't score, on plays when they don't score, right? And, and that's my point in all of it. And that was my point in the criticism two months ago, right? It wasn't about the shot. It wasn't about the bottom line. It was about the process. And maybe that's the coach in me, right? Where I just always believe that if you're doing the right things, like I'm watching Pod Colson and it's not his numbers that are blowing anybody away. And at some point there's got to be a bottom line, like for a player like Hoaglander and a player like Pod Colson and guys that are young players, you at least have to, at some point, be able to demonstrate a bottom line, right? And sure. so at some point we're going to have to gauge Pod Colson based on that. 
Hoaglander's rookie season, it was all about the, the creativity and, boy, this guy's just so confident for a rookie. And, you know, imagine when he figures the game out and gets physically stronger. And now we get into year two and we judge him differently. And we're going to judge Pod Colson differently. And I believe Pod Colson is playing so well. And, and I have every reason to believe that this guy's going to be a, a top six fixture in Vancouver by the third year. And the point production is going to come because he's doing everything right. And Maybe. there's a physical... There's a physicality Maybe. to his game that I believe will translate, whereas that wasn't there with Hoaglander. So at some point, you know, it'll be cute, but there's got to be scoring, right? Whereas I'm looking at Pedersen, and maybe it's an eye test thing, which is a flaw of mine in an analytical world, but I'm <laughs> viewing him based on what I see, not what I read. And I'm yeah. viewing him, and, and I just see a creativity and a confidence to his game that gets me excited. And even if the points aren't there, we've seen the points. Well, so we the know points are there. The points are very much no, there. No, but, but right? you're talking about perception, right? Like you're talking about well, perception. So he's I not producing think... at a point a game pace five on five. And not yeah. that that should be the expectation because power no. play is always going to be factored in to a guy that gets that kind of power play time. But it's just what I'm seeing. And when I see exciting plays that don't wind up in goals, I still get excited. Because I know the goals are there because we've seen the goals, right? We've seen the points. We know the production is going to be there. And ultimately, the production is there if you factor in the power play. But it's that creativity and that confidence that wasn't there for two months that I was critical of. That's what I'm now seeing. So I'm not getting excited by the points. And, and that's what still changes my trajectory of him back to what I saw in the first two years. Because he is playing as well as, like, in, since the All-Star break, this is as good of hockey as we have seen Elias Pettersson play at any point in his career. So... There was a month there to start the season where he looked to me like he was struggling to anticipate the game in a way that I'd never seen from him before. Exactly. And, he, and even I, when I was defending him, was noting that, right? Um, I was noting that he never seemed to have the puck. Like, he just didn't seem to have the puck. He wasn't drawing penalties. Um, those were things that were concerning to me, concerns for me, but I just kept noting that, you know, players who come into the league and do what Elias Pettersson did don't just fall off a cliff for no reason. They don't just disappear and become not good. Like that was that was the sort of benchmark of my argument. It was just like there's no way that these 15 games should supersede what Pedersen's done in 200 previously, right? We know who this player is. We don't need to forget it because he's struggled to start the season. By about mid-November and before the scoring came, and even in the first bit of the Boudreaux era, before the scoring came, because you remember, even when the Canucks went 8-0-1 in Boudreaux's first nine, Pedersen wasn't in the thick of it, right? He was still, like, sometimes playing third line, and, yeah. um, you know, his minutes were reduced, and on and on. So, even then, I thought Pedersen's two-way game was beginning to turn. Like, I saw him make plays with the puck. He looked a little bit more confident. Then he moves to the wing on that Florida road trip, and they lose two in a row, and... Then Bo Horvat gets COVID. And ever since then, he's been just dynamic at, at his best. I think moving to the wing was probably helpful in terms of jogging his ability to process. Like, I think just doing something a little bit different for a couple of games helped. Um, but the process to me looked good before that, for, for a couple months before that. The fact is, is that the payoff just looks so much better when he's also scoring. And then the way that he's guarded by opposing defenses becomes so much more respectful. And like you can tell the teams are zeroing in on him and concerned about him. And it all just sort of begins to look different. And last night, like the play on the 
was it the four three goal where he forced the turnover at the blue line and he yep. just like it was one of those anticipatory plays that only he can make on this team right um there's like five guys in the league that make that read and that are you know good enough with their hands their hand eye to get in the way to direct the puck to a place that they can skate off of, onto it and then create the offense the other way right it's like <laughs> Patterson can do it Austin Matthews can do it Miss Mitch Marner can do it. Patrice Bergeron can do it. Obviously, McDavid can do it. But it's like, you know, it's not a long list of guys, and they're all exceptional, right? They're all insanely good. Sasha Barkov, right? So the point is, is that he's making those types of plays regularly, and I felt like he was beginning to, as as early as early November uh, or mid-November, it's just that the the rewards, the cookies, the payoff wasn't coming with it. And now it is, and it's sensational to watch. And all of that said, Pedersen's, you know, dizzying production is being driven mostly on the power play where he's got, you know, 12 points in his last 23, um, not at five on five. And so what's good about this, what I, what I like about this, right? This isn't, I'm not trying to be negative here. What, what I like about this is I think his power play success is sustainable to some extent because he's such a lethal finisher and because he's such a creative offensive player. I think he's figured out some details on that half wall side that have made him more dangerous and his percentages aren't actually out of whack at five on five. So like point per game plus pace is something that looks real to me over the course of his last 23 games. Like that looks like a sustainable level of production. Maybe, maybe not to the extent of 32 for 23. That's a hundred point pace over an 82 game season, but something pretty, pretty close to it. Something like 80, 85 point pace looks like a real level of production without a bounce. And I love that. I love to see high levels of production where you don't need a, need the benefit of, of of an ounce of puck luck. And that's what Pedersen's on right now. The other thing, though, um, that to, to be aware of, the one other area where his usage has fundamentally changed is he's playing later in games, he's, he's closing games, and he's being used and he's become a really good penalty killer. And those are the parts of the games that I think he's probably taking the most pride in. I wonder how much that has fueled the production, the rest of what we've seen, I suspect not insignificantly. And yeah, I mean, this is a huge, this is the biggest thing that Boudreaux has given this team. The most important thing that Boudreaux has given this team. And it's, you know, 650 win percentage, uh, some meaningful games in April. Like, I know it's all fun. But the most important thing he's done is he's gotten this club to a point where new management can evaluate this group in a environment that's not dour and fatalistic right that like they're pushing for something are they going to get there probably not i thought Pedersen put it perfectly right it doesn't mean shit if we can't stay on this wave like well done sir that's exactly right nailed it you might as well be a van cast guest so uh, but <laughs> yeah the, he, he did but and listen the, let me let me get let, let yeah, me stay ahead, on Pedersen before we in. run off it yeah but uh you know most of which what you're saying i'm going to agree with right like uh I don't think, for me personally, I didn't gauge it off 15 games at the start of the year. Uh, I put last year into the same context, some of which was injury, some of which wasn't. Um, yeah. On top of that, what you're seeing in November is not what I saw on the offensive end. I agree with you on the two-way play, but in terms of what he was trying to do on the creative side offensively, I, it took me longer to see that. And, and maybe you're a sharper observer of it, but it took me a, a longer time to see that level of confidence in the offensive end. The penalty-killing thing, I don't think we can understate. Because it showed confidence in him for a coach at one time who was not showing confidence in him, 
right? And and he didn't earn the confidence, right? He was playing poorly. He got demoted, playing third line, playing with guys that are like, who, like, who the hell am I playing with at this point? Uh, but now you put him in a penalty kill role. It shows some confidence. And think of how much offense that created for him. Now, I know he's only got a couple of shorthanded goals. It's not about that. It's about the number of times he's been able to make a play at the blue line and just generate offense, have the puck on his stick, which he didn't have much for the first two months of the season, and just maybe have an offensive scoring chance, right? And so I see that as something that's really added to his offensive game and added to just his general confidence in his own game. So I, I totally agree with, with that part of it uh, in terms of what Boudreaux has given, not just the team, but Pedersen, which is so essential to the team and how they need to be evaluated. But now, more and more we're seeing him on the wing. And I still think he's a center long-term. And I believe the organization thinks he's a center long-term. But at some point, you kind of got to look at this and get him back there sooner than later, don't you? Or do you just say, forget it, just run it this season the way it is, and next year he'll begin training camp back in the middle? Oh, I, I mean, oh boy, that's a tough one. I, he, he's got to play at center, I think. I think it's crucial for this team uh, that Pedersen play at center, particularly because, you know, it, you've got a really key set of decisions to make with the other guys you're playing down the middle in, in Miller and Bo Horvat. And also, you know, the Canucks need bottom six centers too, right? I mean... That this team is short on centermen. Uh, they were outshot. I think it was four to fourteen, four to fourteen. No, six to fourteen with their bottom six centermen on the ice at five on five last night. Right? Like, it's not going to get it done. It's not going to get it done. You need so much more center depth. And if Pedersen is a center, that helps you address it. You can find value wingers affordably in free agency. It's really hard to find good centermen, and they're super expensive. So. Whether you're acquiring them or paying them in free agency. So, I mean, I think Pedersen's got to be a center. I don't think you mess with what you've got cooking right now. Like, I loved, I, you know, the underlying numbers weren't great on the Horvat Pedersen Garland line last night, but I thought that line looked great. I thought they did some really good stuff, both on the forecheck and in terms of um, creating and playing off of one another. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't touch that right now just because, look, it's, it's rolling. And when things are rolling, you know, if it, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Just leave it. And then Absolutely. so for for me, I'd just not worry about it. I'd be like, Pedersen can play center. We know he can play center. He's going to be a center long term, but he doesn't need to be in the next ten games. And the fact that you know he might be versatile enough to play both wing and center. I mean that that's a feature, not a bug that you can go to in the future. Uh, I wouldn't be worried about it um, at all, at all, especially because he showed real progress before the injury uh, in the faceoff dot. Time for one final break. When we come back, we will talk about what's left after that line at center. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So, Drancer, here's the most impressive part of, of last night and just what the Canucks are doing offensively for me, and that is that the second line is JT Miller at center with Vasily Podkolzin and Alex Chason. Like, think about that. So, 
again, we are enamored with Vasily Podkolzin, but at the end of the day, there's not necessarily any production today that you would expect of a second line player. He's still a rookie. And then you got Alex Chason, who came here on a PTO and was scratched repeatedly early in the season. And many people prior to this run of late have said, look, I've seen enough of Alex Chason. Can we just move on from him in our minds for next year? And now there's a question there. But really, this team has got to go on an extended epic run to get into the playoffs. They have won four straight and now need to win or they need to go 7-0-1 down down the stretch in their final eight to get in. And that's their second line. Yeah, they played well, though. I know they did, but like <laughs> when you walk into a game and you think Mark Stone is about to return to the lineup for the Vegas Golden Knights and play on their third line. I know. And that is Vancouver's second line. Well, you got to kind of hold your breath a little bit, don't you? Oh, uh, you do. Well, and here's the other thing. Vasily Colson at the net front on the power play. Love that. Right? We, yeah, give we me talked, that. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about. Uh, I want to bring this back to something you said about Pod Colson that I disagreed with, but I didn't want to do my classic talk over you thing. Um, <laughs> the, Which is going to be on next year's bingo card, by the way. Yeah, 100%. The, the thing about Pod Colson for me, right? Like, you have to think about this a little bit like an NHL scout would, right? Which is, what does he do at an NHL level, right? What does he do at an NHL level? Drives He's, the net. He's NHL strong, and he goes to gritty, and, and he goes to hard areas. Right, that that that's number one. He's got an sh- NHL shot, no question about that, no question about that. And clearly, he's got NHL level work habits and maturity. Right, like the thing I like the best about Pod Colson is we've seen a really high capacity to learn and develop quickly. And I think that's a tremendous attribute that might be a separator for him with limited English skills. Yeah, although I, I, my understanding is those have improved significantly over the course of the year and and with a fair bit of work on his end, right? This is a guy who takes his job and his life really seriously, uh, and that's included learning the language. So you put all that together, and you know I, I always think like if you have a couple, if you're like you have an NHL shot, that's probably not enough to make the league, right? You think about a guy like Martin Furk in the Kings system, right? It's like he's got an NHL shot. He's got a howitzer. But it's not enough to make the league if that's all you've got. Um, but if you've got an NHL shot and really high-level hockey IQ, like Brock Besser, right, then you can make the league, even if you're not maybe a plus skater, right? The fact is is that not, not just make the league, be a really good player. So Pod Colson's got a couple of NHL-level attributes. It's really more that he doesn't have anything that's not NHL-level, right? He's kind of got, like, a little bit of everything. But, but... One thing we haven't seen from him, in my opinion, and something he hasn't really shown at lower levels either, is dynamic offensive production. Right? Like, he's he's never been point-per-game guy, really, at any level he's played. Now, he's always played up, but he's ne- he's never been, like, a star offensive producer. And last I year's playoffs, though, overseas, last year's playoffs, he was... And again, that's a small sample size, but he yeah, finally I mean, got ice time. He finally got ice time. Sure. And delivered. Sure, but I, I mean, the World Juniors that last year too, right? He was counted on to be like the man offensively. Yeah, and, and he wasn't. And, and he wasn't. Uh, he just wasn't. And that's fine. Like, that doesn't mean that he's not going to be an excellent, excellent NHL player. It's just that you really don't have any, you know, you, you kind of have to go back to like his U17 years to find him being, you know, a, a 30 point and 21 games played guy. Um, so. I think with Pod Colson, 
right? If you're going to have him be a to- that top six fixture you're talking about, it's probably not going to be as an offense driving first line winger. I'm not saying that's out of the question. I'm just saying it's probably balance of probabilities. He's not going to be that guy. He can play in your top six, but most likely is like a complimentary piece, that heavy press that I like to talk about, right? So if you're going to be that player, if you're going to be most likely, right, a really high-end middle six guy with maybe the utility to play even higher up the lineup than that, but mostly two-way value, uh, mostly like as a complimentary physical piece who perhaps can have an, an additional bit of offensive touch if they play with the right, you know, distributing center or what have you. You need to have power play utility. You need to have penalty kill utility. You need to be at least a, a demon on one or both sides of the special teams if you're going to be a super valuable contributor, right, in the league. And so we talked about Chase on uh, earlier. I mean, you just talked about him, but also our last podcast. One thing to keep in mind about Chase on is you need to keep, in my opinion, a spot open at the net front on the power play Four pod goals in next season. Doesn't have to be PP1, but every time out, pod goals needs to be seeing ice and needs to be putting in those practice reps at the net front with PP with, with a power play unit next season. That has to be an absolutely essential part of what the team is going to try and do to develop him. He needs to be there. He needs to eventually be on your first power play unit. That's how you're going to get the most out of him. That's how he needs to be brought along. And honestly, same thing on the PK. I see enough intelligence there. I see enough speed. I see enough physicality. I see enough hockey IQ. I see that high capacity for learning. He needs to start to play penalty kill. And that should start when he goes down to play in the American League playoffs. And it should continue when he comes back next season. They need to be developing him into a penalty kill guy. Otherwise, you're not going to maximize what he can bring to your group, right? In my opinion. That's, for me, a really essential thing that they have to think about. And another thing you have to wait, too, in deciding whether or not to re-up Jason. Do you block him at the net front? Right? Because what could I've you seen... Put, could you, I know that Jason's been better over his career at the net front, but could he not be a... Yeah, you're probably right. He's got to play net front. He's got to play net front. I yeah, mean, he does. you know, he's, he, he's, he's too big. He's too willing to work down there. And his hands in tight are pretty good. We saw it last night. Um, I mean, he, he you can't put him in the bumper. He looks like was, an F front guy. Like he yeah. looks like an F front guy. You can, you can put him wherever. I mean, he's got the shot. He's intelligent enough. No, no, I'm talking I'm, about chase on. Oh no, no. Chase on has to be at the net front. Yeah. So I'm just saying pod Coles and pod Colson to me, honestly looks similar. I mean, maybe, maybe you could try him in the bumper, but he would be way better off in the, um, at the net front. And so we, we've gotten through the second line now and like the fourth line, I don't even know what they're doing here, and the ice time would indicate that, but Sheldon Dries and Kyle Burrows, and I know that Brad Hunt played forward a little bit, and Burrows got some defensive time last night as well. Uh, you know, Nick Patan uh, is, didn't play last night. Um, I guess there's just nothing else they can do there. Is there. There's nobody else they can bring up to take a look. I know they're in emergency recall you know, state in terms of what they've, what they've got to do as long as they've got guys healthy, but it's, it is slim pickings right now. Yeah, I mean... It is. There's and I don't think there's much you can do to solve it. You just have to grind your way through it. The one thing I'd see, I'd like to see is, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like, I would like to see them not use a defenseman as a forward at all. Just go seven and just go seven. Just go, just seven, go seven and eleven. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. And, and and I mean, I I don't understand why Boudreaux's so reluctant to do it, but 
go seven, go eleven and seven, and double shift your six good forwards. Like that, that would be my that would be my play. Uh, and I, I think that's how the Canucks should approach this, especially because you know it has to be playoff or bust for this group. There's too many chips in the set. They're too pot committed to fold at the river. Like you have to go in. You have to keep going. Unfortunately, um, misguided as it is, uh, fact that it's likely to be ill fated. Uh, though that's true, you just you have to keep going. You have to make the playoffs with this group now. Now, um, you have to. You just have to. Like, there's no other option in terms of how you approach the stretch run. Do you get the sense that they finally, like, they're not? I'm not suggesting for a second that they're going to win eight games the rest of the way, but that they are past the first period slumps and and a, in a full realization that this is it because we were told this was it two weeks ago. And it clearly wasn't in terms of their mental approach to games. And wow. and again, they weren't brilliant yeah. last night, but they played. They you know they they certainly showed up at the start of the first, and they showed up at the start of the second. Um, do you think they have the sense that like this is it now? Well, it's tough after the deadline. It's tough to to sort of project. Um, I don't think they're over that because I don't really believe that that. I believe that what's occurred is that the Canucks come out and get smoked by teams that are looking to put it in cruise control early, right? They know that if they jump them, they're going to win, and then they put it in cruise control, and the Canucks battle back, and sometimes they're good enough to battle back. They have enough finishing talent, and their goaltending is good enough that teams don't extend the lead. So I don't think it's like a mental block. I think it's teams not very good. Like, that's my explanation for it. So do I think they're past it? No, because I still don't think they're very good. So... I suspect we will see that rear its head again against a savvy, motivated opponent at some point. But also, you know, when you get to this point in the season, every like those motivation levels change, right? No longer are teams coming in in game 68 or, or you know, 54 and being like, okay, um, if we play 15 good minutes, we can put it in cruise control, get to the Roxy by uh, 1130. We'll have a night. You know, I, I think that's I think that's done. Like, I think that's done now at this point in the season. Teams either come in and it's like, well, our season's over. Let's play out the string or they're like, this game is everything. Oh, my God. So I, I just think the dynamic has flipped more than anything. And I, I just think the first period, like I know the first period thing, we, we sometimes want to ascribe mental failings or make the NHL a morality play. But for me, it was just uh, I mean, I suspect that the most likely explanation is not very good team gets jumped early by pro hockey players who know how to conserve energy and knew that if they blasted them early, they could kind of put it in cruise control for 40 minutes. Last thing I'll ask you before we go is uh, the goaltending situation. So, you know, we talked about it earlier that uh, Demko played, you know, great at times in the game. I uh, didn't like, the, I didn't like the final goal. Uh, you didn't like the third goal. Um, I heard Hershey on the post game show last night say, look, they've got to run him even on back to backs. So you've got a back-to-back situation coming up early next week. There will be a lot of rest going into said back-to-back. Do they need to play him in both games, or can you make the case that, you know what, like Halak's been fine his last couple of starts. We're okay running with Halak. And again, Demko's been good, but there's still been the odd weird one. Um, Yeah, I mean, Demko's been great. I'm not worried about the weird ones. And... I think you are going to need to play him in a back-to-back set. I just don't know if it's against Ottawa. So you play him tomorrow, obviously, against the Coyotes, and you obviously play him on Monday against Dallas, and that Dallas game is with three days rest. So then you go into the back-to-back. Like The the concern for me is not 
playing him against Ottawa. I think you can do that if you want. Fine. I, I mean, I don't have a huge problem with it. But if you do do that, right, then you are potentially going to be asking him to play 6 and 10. Like, that's the issue. It's not about the Ottawa back-to-back. It's about the Kings-Oilers back-to-back at the end of the season, which is 10 days later, or, or 9 and 10 days later. So, he, like, break it down this way. Look at, you know, if you look at it uh, on a calendar. Tomorrow, plays Thursday, plays Monday, three days rest. Yes, in a vacuum, you, you'd be comfortable playing him back-to-back against the Ottawa Senators. But are you comfortable playing him against the Senators on the 19th and the second leg of a back-to-back against the Wild on the 21st in Minnesota, against Calgary on the 23rd, against the Kraken on the 26th at home, three days rest, and then again on the 28th and the 29th? Or is that too many miles? Like The reason that I think you have to play Halak against Ottawa is that you want to save that bullet and you don't, I think, want Halak uh, or don't want Demko to be playing his sixth game in 10, potentially with your playoff game uh, lives on the line, um, following flights to Minneapolis and Calgary and then to Edmonton following a game, right? Like that's how you have to think about this. You have to save Demko, in my opinion, to be as fresh as you can make him in the event that the Kings Oilers back to back to end the season matters like yeah, that. And, to me, and, and, and that's it could the reason. And it, for the Oilers at that point, it could be a game where they don't necessarily ice their top lineup. Yeah, and, and I mean, think about it this way, too. You play him Thursday, he's three days off, plays the Stars, three days off, plays the Wild, and then he goes into a little, uh, two days, uh, one day of rest, plays the Flames, three days off, plays the Kraken, yeah. two days off, back-to-back. N- now, now you're looking at a situation where I think you can expect him to be at his best on, or, or at least close to it on both legs of that season ending back to back. If you play him in that back to back, you know, then all of a sudden you're looking at, um, you know, two days rest, two days rest, three days rest, two days rest. Like it's just, it, th- that extra day matters so much. I think with how dense this schedule is going to be and six and 10 is very different from five and, or actually it would, it would be less than that. It would be six in, um, sorry, it would be the way to look at it is it would be seven in um 15 7 and 15 is far better than 6 and 10 right i mean literally you're looking at less than a game every second night versus 6 and 10 so to me it's a no brainer to play halak in the game against ottawa with an eye toward potentially playing demko in both both ends of the back to back this is not me being an analytics back to don't play your goalie back to back uh absolutist this is me saying save that bullet and make sure that Demko is at his best for the games that matter the most, which, you know, for me is that like wild, that game in Minnesota, that game in Calgary, uh, and then that back-to-back Kings and Oilers to end the year. And what we're also doing here in the VanCast is we're saving Drancer from, you know, having to do too many shows in in a compressed period of time. So we're going to wait until next Wednesday before we do our next podcast a week from today because uh, we this is our second one of the week, and then we don't want to do them on game days on Monday and Tuesday next week. So right now well, we, we are we could go live. You want to do a live on Monday uh, on Monday or Tuesday? Let's. Why don't we? Why don't we? Why, why don't, don't we, we go live Tuesday night? Yeah. Why don't we go live Tuesday night? Maybe we can even invite our our buddy Ian Mendez. And uh, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll send him. A, I'll send him a note. Uh, but maybe we can go live on uh, after one of those games. Uh, absolutely. Good call. I think, uh, yeah, just because it's a back-to-back, maybe the Wednesday or the Tuesday one against Ottawa makes the most sense, but, uh, let's, let's do that. 
meanwhile, uh, plenty of other pod options. Uh, I know that former NHL referee Dave Jackson joins Rob Pizzo, Sarah Sivian, and Jesse Granger for their roundtable uh, edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. And as for us, hey, thanks for listening to the VanCast. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to leave a rating and a review right now. You can get annual subscriptions to The Athletic for just a dollar a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash VanCast. You're going to be back in town soon? Um, no. Maybe not. Because you're, st- <laughs> you're, you're still in Tom Springs. I'm or, is still it Tom, Tom, I'm, or is it Tom, Tom Desert? Tom Desert. Um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm back for the next homestand. Perfect. Yeah. Either way, we will, we will do this next week. Uh, do it live. It should be fun. Thanks for listening, everybody.